Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Each weekday at noon, meet me right here on 90.3 FM or WPLN.org for This is Nashville. We'll go deeper on the news of the day with WPLN reporters and bring you perspectives you didn't know you were missing. We're making space for you and getting to know our city and region through your eyes. So today marks two years since 10 tornadoes touched down across Middle Tennessee, rocking our city and region in the early morning hours of March 3rd. The storm traveled more than 100 miles, 25 people died, and more than 1,000 residences were hit in Davidson, Wilson, and Putnam counties. About 200 of those were completely destroyed. That's not to mention nearly 3,000 other structures that were hit. We're talking churches, schools, music venues, Section 8 housing complexes. So today, we're taking account of what was lost and taking measure of how the recovery has been going. Who still needs help rebuilding? Who's offering that help? And how are people who lived through the storms doing now? Here with me to talk about the recovery is Tony Gonzalez, Special Projects Editor at WPLN News. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Hey, Khalil, I'm doing all right. So you've been on top of the tornado recovery, both in the field and at the editor's desk. We're now two years removed from that night. How are you feeling, my man? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, to be, happy to be here talking to you about it, but it is sort of a, a heavy day. Um, it gives me a lot to think about, um, both as a, a reporter and as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was catastrophic for so many communities. It put our newsroom in motion in so many ways. Uh, personally, in my neighborhood, I live in East Nashville. I mean, it came right right through my neighborhood. So uh, as much as anything I've ever covered, it is sort of a heavy thing, just personally, professionally. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot to think about yeah. on, on an anniversary date like this. Yeah, I understand. You know, there's been a lot happening on the recovery front. What can you tell us about the federal money that's been allocated and who it's helping? Yeah, well, so uh, in terms of federal dollars from FEMA, it's something like $38 million. Mm. Um, a lot of that, the, the bulk of that actually goes to localities, like the city governments, the counties, that sort of thing. And in year two of the recovery, I think it was something like $20 million went out to those localities. That's still doing cleanup, infrastructure work, all that kind of stuff. There's a smaller portion that actually went out to to people, to our to our neighbors, uh, those are some of the hardest hit folks. Some who uh, you know don't have insurance, that kind of thing, who, do, who have those sorts of needs. Of course, there was also local fundraising and all sorts of other types of aid, other than federal, you know, federal assistance. Hmm. Now, two years ago may sound like a long time, but rebuilding from 2020 has not been easy. You talked with Amy Fair over at the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee, and she said that COVID played a huge role. Let's take a listen. You didn't have as many volunteers to work on construction projects because of COVID protocols. Uh, There were supply chain issues, which challenged some of the construction. Uh, And then, of course, we're in Nashville with just the construction boom that we have to find contractors um, to replace those volunteers that might not be able to do construction work. Tony, so what else did Amy tell you about the rebuilding efforts and where we're at two years later? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, at the one-year mark, 
honestly, it felt a little almost unfair to even check in at the one-year mark. Mm. It was just it sort of felt kind of arbitrary. Like one year was not enough time. In the second year, there has been a lot of progress. So, I mean, hundreds of homes have been rebuilt. A lot of businesses have reopened. Uh, that That's in Nashville, Mount Juliet, out in Cookville. Um, so, so there has been a lot of progress. Amy said that I think there's something like 18 families who are still uh, rebuilding their homes right now across those three counties. Of course, there's also businesses and other work that's still going on. So I think I could say, you know, we're almost recovered yeah. uh, in, in, in a lot of ways or in a lot of communities. But sure, there are still, um, you know, some homes that have maybe been untouched. There are still some vacant lots. There are a lot of businesses. I think a lot of businesses and churches, it's taken them longer mm-hmm. to maybe sort out insurance, to sort out kind of what they need. So there is, there's still a lot of work going on, for sure. You said that, you know, you felt it's unfair at the one-year mark, a little bit too early. Explain, expound on that a little bit. Why did, why does that feel a little bit too early? Well, I mean, I could, I could just see all around me. I mean, in my neighborhood and in, in some of the other reporting we're doing, I mean, a lot of stuff had been untouched. Mm. A lot of people hadn't sorted things out. It just felt uh, it sort of felt too soon. And we we did feel the impact of, of COVID, right? I mean, yeah. not as many volunteers. We knew that you're just getting the construction materials to build a house like it just wasn't going to happen that quickly. Um, so when I put in the reporting to do a little bit of checking in at two years, I, I was impressed. I mean, there, a lot has happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lot of recovery has happened more so in that second year. So as the tornado came through East Nashville, its path was pretty close to your home. After the storm passed, you went out into your neighborhood to see what happened. Tell me, what did you see? Yeah, so, I mean, the the storm was uh, basically two blocks from my house. I mean, to be clear, a a gigantic tree came down across my street, crushed a couple of cars. Wow. uh, Tore up a a gas line. So, I mean, there was, we actually had our windows open in our house that night. So there was gas, like, in my house. Uh, we went out and, and found another place to stay. We walked a few blocks away to some family. So the first glimpse I had was the down trees, the down power lines, all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The next morning when the sun came up, I was out there seeing my neighbors kind of taking stock of, I mean, total destruction. I mean, homes, homes gone. Um, wow. That was certainly the impact that I saw. Then we had our reporters out all across the region. So as a so then I kind of take off the, the reporter hat and then I'm kind of being an editor uh, or sorry, take off the person hat and, and become an editor. And, uh, you know, you're just seeing lives just forever changed. I mean, um, there's no other way to say it. I mean, yeah. lives lost, lives forever changed. Everyone feels a little different now about yeah. the weather whenever you hear uh, what's in the forecast uh a lot changed that night for, for a lot of people. Now, I just moved here six months ago, and there's plenty of people between that night, March 3rd, 2020, and now who are coming into town who heard about it, who've seen some of the effects. But really describe it for us who weren't there. What did it really look like and feel? Yeah, well, and and it's easy. You forget a tornado path is really thin, right? Mm. So, I mean, you could go about your life and not really see the damage, maybe, or depending kind of what neighborhood you're in. So here's what it looks like. Where it struck, there's no trees anymore, right? Okay. So you might be walking down a street and there's all these trees. Then you get to that, those couple of blocks where the, where the tornado ripped through, there's no more trees. Mm. There's still vacant lots, right? I mean, so you'll see house, 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 and then a hole in the ground where there's there's not a house anymore. Okay. Uh, in my neighborhood, there's there's several churches that were badly damaged. One, it didn't. There was an entire wall missing and half of the roof missing for more than a year. 
So, I'm, you know, I'm out there walking with my family pretty much every day, and you're kind of walking past it. Now, recently, some good news that they've got that church almost fully repaired. Even my, my little daughter, she points out, mm. hey, that church is looking pretty good, right? So, I mean, even she's seeing uh, some of that progress. There's a house two blocks from me where they're, it's almost fully rebuilt now. But just about every day, like I'm hearing that hammering, I'm seeing that work going on. So it's on one hand, it's a reminder of what happened. Uh, it's also, you know, it seems like there's some some progress being made. Um, so yeah, so when you're really on the ground, you can see the difference. It's it's the trees, it's the homes, it's the piles of debris that are still around in some places, you know, stacks of bricks, that kind of thing. And then also this construction work that you see going on. That recovery, I'm, there's still some demolition going on. I mean, I saw a tractor the other day mm. uh, kind of tidying up where one of these homes used to stand. So there's there's a lot of little clues uh, all around in, in those in those places that were hit hard. What about outside of East Nashville, other parts of the city and region? Yeah, uh, well, and, and I've been across a lot of the storm path within Nashville. I haven't been out as much in uh, Mount Juliet, Lebanon, Cookville, um, but I, but I have an idea of what's going on out there. I mean, I think uh, in Mount Juliet, for example, hundreds of homes were damaged or destroyed. Officials there, I think they said that there are about five homes that haven't been touched uh, okay. over the last two years. So you can see, I mean, so that's. You know, hundreds have. There's mm-hmm. been progress. They're working on three, rebuilding three schools in Mount Juliet. Uh, there's a new memorial park in Cookville that's supposed to open in the next couple of weeks. Uh, John Toon Airport was was devastated. Uh, they've been working on all sorts of expansions. So I mean, you can uh, you can see those signs of progress out there um, if you if you kind of know what you're looking for. Now, something we don't talk about enough is the emotional toll of this kind of thing. We're going to get more into that after the break, but Tony, I'm curious about the toll on you. You mentioned it a little bit before about balancing being a human and a father, having a family, and your duties as a journalist. How did this affect you? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, I I actually still think about the tornado basically every day. Mm. I mean, um, when I look at the trees, like I mentioned, or my, my car actually has a big dent in the roof where a power pole hit it, like... So when I get in my car, I see it, I'm reminded. Um, So yeah, so I mean, there's there's sort of a lot of reminders. You know, actually my wife said something to me this morning. She talked about how it's such a marker in time for us, like Mm. everything before the tour. And of course it happened right as the pandemic was was setting in. So for me, it's a huge marker in time. Like there was everything before and there's everything since that storm. And the reminders are just, they're there all around and... um, I mean, I really do think about it every day. The other thing, though, that, that I'll do on a day like today, I'm going to email some folks, some neighbors. I'm going to text some folks who I actually got to know better because uh, of the tornado Yeah. when I was doing their, those stories and, and getting to know people. So I'll do that again this year. I'll check in with folks, see how they're doing, um, and kind of look for some maybe some, I don't know, some some healing or some progress, that sort of thing. But, yeah, uh, it's definitely a day that I'll, I'll – it's unavoidable that I'll be thinking a lot about it today. You know, a lot of people have told me that in some ways, March 2020 is still with them. Just like you've expressed, you think about it all the time. You know, when severe weather is on the horizon, because we've had a couple warnings. How are you when you hear about that news? Yeah, I, I think the term is weather aware or uh, weather anxiety, right? Mm. I'm, I'm very weather aware, right? So, I mean, I'm into information in general. I like to be informed. Uh, but I, it's also maybe not totally healthy, right? I mean, I'll spend an entire day thinking about uh, what's coming. 
Yeah. I mean, and I also know where to go on the weather service site to see the exact specific details on what's coming. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely feel that anxiety. I know a lot of people who do. I think a lot of folks are sort of forever changed because of that storm. Uh, that said, I also try to remind myself, you know, how rare it is that something catastrophic will come through. Uh, so I, I try to take a little bit of peace of mind. Um, yeah, but a, a lot of us are, are weather aware and I think, you know, will be forever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely I feel something a little different when I when I'm looking at the weather report. Okay. I, I feel good about today. It's sunny out there. <laughs> it's sunny and absolutely beautiful. But I know that when it's cold and it gets warm pretty quickly, that's something we have to think about. Um, last question for you. You know, you've been doing a lot of reporting on this for this week. What else do we need to know? What are you watching? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I am really curious about some of these last folks who are trying to get, you know, I'd say we're almost recovered. I think, in fact, the Tennessean had a headline today that was sort of like, we're almost there. Mm. So there are, we, we do need to be mindful. There are still families, there are still businesses who are just getting there, right? Who are putting the finishing touches on the, on the house or on their business. Um, so I, th- I think when those moments happen, I mean, I think it's important for the community to kind of to come to the side of those people or those businesses um, because a lot of folks probably have moved on mm-hmm. or it's just not right in their face every single day. Um, but I'll be looking forward to, to some of those um, those sort of milestone moments when, when folks are kind of back on their feet and, and, uh, and able to move forward. That's WPLN editor Tony Gonzalez, who's been tracking the re- rebuilding efforts of tornadoes that struck two years ago. Tony, thanks for being here and thanks for sharing, man. Thanks, Cleo. We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at the physical and emotional recovery since the March 2020 tornadoes and check in with people who've been rebuilding their homes and their sense of well-being ever since. Don't go away. This is Nashville. reopening day at Asphalt Skate Shop in East Nashville. Feeling better down at the toes? Nicole Shipp, a.k.a. Gizmo, is getting custom fitted for skates. She's a roller derby athlete who's come all the way from Marietta, Georgia for this. There is a break in period, so they'll, they'll loosen up over time. After the tornado two years ago all but leveled this small shop on Woodland Street, Owner Steve Larios wasn't sure they'd be able to recover. It took everything down right to the slab. But they did. Uh, I was really fortunate in that the, the insurance came through quickly. They sent their catastrophic team up, the guys that like went to the Katrina and stuff, and he goes, we're just going to put you down as totaled. You know, it's a lot easier being totaled than being partially damaged because some of the buildings that got partially damaged took them forever to settle out with the insurance because they were arguing how damaged were they. That was Steve Larios, owner of the Asphalt Skate Shop. This is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We've been reflecting on the tornadoes that tore through our city and region two years ago today. Now we want to talk about what it takes to rebuild like they did at Asphalt Skate Shop and recover from the trauma because stores and houses aren't the only things that need to be rebuilt. The psyche needs assistance as well. Now we hear from two people who lived through the storm. I'd like to bring in Terry Warren. 
He's joining us by phone, and he's here to share his story with us. Terry, welcome to yes. This is Nashville. Uh, yes, I remember the tornado very well, because I was uh, laying in the bed, and mm. the next thing I know, I heard this wind coming through the alley that sounded like a, a train. Then the windows popped out. I jumped up and ran to the hallway to where there's a beam that's going outside the door, stood in that hallway uh, beam area, and then the electricity uh, popped and went out. And then the next thing I know, I started praying and asking God to, to make a way for me. Mm -hmm. And right after I got through praying, it was over just that quick. That must have been really frightening. Oh, it was very frightening. I was, I was praying to God that I, could, that I would survive it. And you did. And you did. So tell me, what did you do after the storm passed? Well, after the storm passed, I went outside the house to assess the damage that was done. And uh, I noticed that a, a tree limit fell on my car and busted the, the front windshield out. Mm. And uh, the house that was, that was next to me, the roof was, had gone off of it. And the house that was next to that, it was almost completely demolished. And the library, which was across the street from us, it was towed up. And uh, Kroger's, which was on Monroe Street right there at the, at the corner, mm -hmm. uh, the windows got knocked out of all of it, but it didn't do that much damage to Kroger's. And then after I got through doing that, I decided to go on back in. There was no lights or nothing, but I didn't have no place else to go, so I laid back down to get me some sleep. The landlord came over the next day and gave everybody that was in, that was left in in the house eight hundred dollars to to move somewhere now were you able to find a place that landlord gave you eight hundred dollars to move was he just permanently putting you guys out of the place yes he was permanently putting us out and i had some friends and i called them they introduced me to a guy that had a place that i could could move in and I told him that uh, I have no place to go, and we got to be out in two days. I waited on this guy to call me, and he didn't, so I started calling him. And then finally he told me uh, the next day he'll have a place for me. So I spent one night in my car, and then the next day I was able to move into my new new place. Now, was it just you, or did you have anybody with you? No, it was just me at the time. My daughter, thank God, she was gone at the time. Okay. Now, how long have you been at this new place? Uh, let's see. I was there until the pandemic virus hit. Hmm. After that, uh, the landlord put up a sale sign and moved us out uh, and put us under the bridge where we became homeless. And then my daughter had, had made it back home by then. Her feet was frostbitten because of the coldness uh, at that time. And we wind up taking her to the hospital. The Salvation Army uh, came in and took us to a shelter. And then they said the next day they'd put us in a place to live. And that's where we are today. Hold on a second. The landlord put you under the bridge. Back up for me. Tell me what happened with that. Because I, what, okay. what I'm understanding is, first of all, the tornado hits and your place mm -hmm. is demolished. Then you go to another place that you think, okay, finally I have shelter, and the pandemic comes in, and this person puts you out, and you end up under the bridge. How did right, that affect exactly. you? Right, exactly. 
because of the pandemic, they had cut the work. Uh-huh. So he wasn't getting any money. We was waiting on the stimulus checks to come. <clears throat> but And he would, you know, everybody knew that they wasn't supposed to put people out in the street. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he took up a sales sign and put it up and act like he was selling the place and everybody had to get out. He came to me and asked me, where, where do I want to go? And I said, man, I don't have no place to go. The only place I can think of is the homeless camp on the Jefferson Street Bridge. So he loaded us up and dropped us off there and went and, and he gave me $20. And then after that, he moved on. $20? Yeah. Wow. 20 whole dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of shocked by that. I'm going to be honest with you, my friend. You know, yeah, but legally, there was nothing I could do. Because once he got us out, he, I, I guess that was that was it. But, but I, what I should have done was called the police and told them what he was doing, and then they could have straightened it out, and we would have been in that situation. But I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, you were out housed for some time, right? Uh, yeah, we stayed, we stayed under that bridge from March 24th all the way up to about three weeks ago. How did you keep yourself safe when the weather got really bad? Well, we had tents, and I brought a generator and put down uh, to supply electricity for people to run their heaters. And I uh, taught my tent uh, uh, double. We had sleeping bags, me and my daughter, we had sleeping bags, and we put four blankets on each each one of us. She had four on her, and I had four on, on me, and that kept us real warm. Mm-hmm. I'd like we, did, to... we survived it. It was hard, but we survived it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Now... If you're tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Khalil Lake Alona. We are ref- going back to and looking back at two years ago, the tornadoes that came and devastated parts of Nashville and Middle Tennessee in the region. I'd like to bring in our next guest, whose home was also hit two years ago. Tamara Williams lives in Cookville, a community about an hour and a half east of Nashville that suffered a lot of damage. Nineteen people died when the tornado touched down in Putnam County. Tamara. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. So thank you for being with us. Now, Terry told us that he was up watching television as the storm hit. Mm-hmm. What about you? Tell me about what was the situation in your house that night? Um, well, I remember I watched the weather before I went to bed, and I remember thinking, okay, it looks like it's going to be just a little north of us. And I didn't feel well that night. Just all of a sudden started feeling like I had the flu. So I went to bed and we woke up at one, it was one forty three, one forty four, and our alarms were going off. And then when we seen it was, it says take shelter now, which was an alert that we had never, we had never seen prior to that day. Mm-hmm. So we grabbed the kids from upstairs and literally was dragging them downstairs by their arms because my kids do not wake up mm-hmm. like and like they're like lethargic they don't know up from down when they first wake up um and i couldn't pick them up like we literally had them bouncing down the stairs the house was already shaking and the lights were flickering and it was it was scary now had you and your family made preparations for the storm honestly no i mean i have in the past and i thought and some people think i was like a little overkill with it, but I didn't that night because I just didn't 
it, it looks like it was going to the north of us. And I honestly thought, okay, it's just going to be a little thunderstorm, nothing to worry about. Um, but hindsight, had I listened, like I all of a sudden felt like I felt like there were, there were signs that maybe I should have picked up on. Like I felt sick. I felt fine. And then all of a sudden I felt like I had the flu. Mm -hmm. And then my dogs were in the garage that night in their kennels and they whined all night long. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not typically, you know, their behavior. And I was just like, shut up, quit, (laughs) go to sleep. But I felt like, you know, they knew something too that, you know, like they could just feel it, I guess. Now, I'm sure this is really difficult for you to talk about, but can you describe what happened when the tornado touched it down? Um, we were, I had, we just barely made it into the bathroom before the backside of my house blew in. Um, we had my son, uh, who's now 10, and Emma, who's now 13. We had them in the bathtub my oldest daughter who's now 20 was wedged in between the toilet Mm. and i was over top of them and my husband was over top of me Um, as soon as the door shut um, in the bathroom that back side of the wall and um the interior uh, one of the interior walls completely blew off and it we were we were wedged and wrapped our bodies were wrapped around one another as any way possible um and it picked it's picked up my son first um and then it just picked us all up and threw us into the wall and we were when it was over we were standing in what was um like our hallway outside of our bathroom wow that's hard of the interior bathroom you had to hold on to each other to to remain anchored yes wow because if one person was going we were all going Mm -hmm. it wasn't we were not letting go. Mm-hmm. So after the December tornadoes last year, we spoke with Chrissy Hurley from the National Weather Service of Nashville. She'll be joining us later on in the show. Now, that part of her job was going out and actually walking the path of a tornado after the fact to survey the damage. She told me she will always be remembering visiting Cookville after the EF4 tornado hit in March 2020. It was so raw and, you know, so fresh. There were hundreds, probably thousands of volunteers out there helping one another and comforting and the hugs and the tears. And I think that is just one memory that I'm always going to take with me, you know, despite the death and destruction that, you know, occurred in that community, just to see everybody come together and the volunteers helping everybody out, that will stick with me through my entire career. Tamara, hearing that, do you feel like it's an accurate portrayal of your community in Cookville? I do, yes. We met people that we did not know prior to the tornado, probably most likely wouldn't have crossed, you know, crossed paths any other way, who are, they will be lifelong friends. Now, you've been working on rebuilding your house ever since March 2020. Before you talk about the house itself, I wonder, why did you decide to stay when your house was basically destroyed? We stayed, um, my husband was in the military, so we were in, I'm from Murfreesboro. Mm -hmm. Um, so we moved back to Cookville. We were fairly new. Um, there was a split second where we was like, we are out of here. We are leaving. Um, but then I come to the realization that 
this can happen anywhere. Like you cannot run from this. This was an act of God. Hmm. And there's just, it can happen anywhere. So what's the point of, of running from it? So we decided to stay put. Now, once you decided to make that, you made that decision, what was it like trying to rebuild the house? It's still a work in progress. Um, we did things a lot differently um, than than most did in this area. Our walls are, are concrete and then with still studs on the back of the walls, but the interior walls are, are wood. Um, we did things a little different just for comfort measures and safety, peace of mind should should something ever, you know, happen mm-hmm. happen again like this. So I wanna um, a- I wanna ask this question to both of you. When you hear news okay. about coming severe weather, a new event coming, where are your emotions? Like how do you react to that type of news? Terry, you go first. Uh when I hear of bad weather since I've uh, been through it before I just uh, try to watch out, see which direction it's coming, and then try to make plans to to decide whether I need to move somewhere or whether I just need to just stay put and and uh, find shelter, like going into the bathroom. Tamara, um, we do things um, very similar. We we do a little differently. Just um, my kids, I have a backpack packed for them. I tell them to you know, dress somewhat appropriately because we were all in our pajamas. I just want them to have on something warm. Mm-hmm. And if the weather gets crazy, I just go ahead and wake them up, bring them down, get their shoes on. And I put helmets on them now, mm-hmm. like their, uh, bus- or not their, um, their bicycle helmets. Um, and they have a backpack ready to go with a change of clothes and, you know, want something small, like some kind of entertainment, yeah. you know, cause they're going to be in the closet for a minute. Cause and back in December, we actually left the rental property that we're in now and went over to the new house. You did that for the for, the for the December storms that came? I think it was in December. Yeah, yeah, it was in December. Like, it just got too windy for my comfort. And mm-hmm. um, I know it was talking about a lot of rotations. So I was like, let's go. We stayed there at the new house for probably five hours, Okay, four to five hours. Real quick, I got one minute left. One last question for you both. What do you wish you had known then that you know now to better prepare you for that moment two years ago? Terry. Yes, I wish then that I'd had the apps needed on my phone that would uh, give me the weather alert. I could have been better prepared. Tamara? Because now I know, so. Mm-hmm. Same. I have every every single app, weather app you can download, and my weather radio. Okay. I want to thank you both. What else? What else? Well, we want to- Tam, anything else you want to know? I don't. I think they're both gone. I want to thank them no. both for oh, joining us. Sorry. No, no, not a problem. I, I thank you both for really sharing your story because these were traumatic events that have happened to you, and it's only been two years. I really wish the best best for both you and your families. I want to thank you both for joining us. That's Tamara Williams and Terry Warren. Thank you both again. After the break, we'll visit with a few local weather experts to learn how we can all prepare for the next tornadoes. We'll be back in a minute. This is Nashville.
I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today, on the two-year anniversary of the deadly March 2020 tornadoes, we're taking a look back. We've just been hearing about how traumatizing it can be to live through a tornado and how challenging it can be to rebuild or relocate. Now, let's take a look ahead. We want to learn how best to prepare for the next tornado. To help us do that, we rounded up some experts. Our first guest is Leland Statham. He's the senior meteorologist at News Channel 5 and I'm sure a familiar voice to many Nashvilleans. Leland, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you, great to be with you today. It's great to have you with us. So it's getting warmer, feeling nice out there. We're about to head into the severe weather season, but we sort of just left the other severe weather season. Is that right? Uh, that is true because we have had a tornado touchdown in Tennessee in every month of the year. And so spring, March, April, May, that's our traditional severe weather season. Mm -hmm. But there's also that secondary season, and that's late October into November. And usually it's the reverse of spring. In spring, it's the colder air is trying to hang on as warmer air is moving in. In the fall, you've got the warmer air trying to hang on as the colder air is moving in. And sometimes those clash of the air masses can result in the severe weather or in the tornado. Okay, okay. I also hear the tornado danger zone, if you will, might actually be getting closer to us. That's one of the big things in, in research right now is, is there this shift happening in traditional Tornado Alley out to our west, moving in our area? The other thing, too, to keep in mind is even before this shift started to happen, there was a higher ratio of killer tornadoes in our area. So preparedness is key to this. Preparedness is key. Yes. But let's talk for a moment about when that severe weather hits. I think for a lot of us, watching TV news is big or following social media updates. One account that everyone told me to follow when I moved here, from a place that does not have tornadoes, I might add, is Nashville Severe Weather, at Nash Severe WX on Twitter. It's basically a team of three friends who created a Twitter account in 2009 and later scrounged together a home studio where they could live stream video coverage to help keep Nashville safe. Our producer, Steve Harouche, snagged an exclusive tour of that studio recently to get a behind-the-scenes look. Are you going to take me where the magic happens? Yes, this is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Leaper home. All right. This is the studio, as I guess we call it. Here on the lower level, we have three monitors, and this is for my main computer. This is the workhorse that does the broadcasting. It runs the radar software. It runs the, the broadcast producer software where we do the switching from different sources, different cameras. All of that is on this main computer with three screens here on the lower level. On the left TV, um, we have our Twitter feed. I can see what David is tweeting. I can see what people are replying with. And I can see our T-Spotter feed, which is where people send in reports. Also have on that TV uh, our chat room where uh, we, along with emergency managers and media, join the National Weather Service in a chat. One thing about this room is while it looks, you know, like it has a lot of different things in it and, you know, this is where we kind of help keep people safe, um, this is not really a safe room. Now, one of the dangers is, is that when you're wrapped up in everything going on, my family may be in their safe place, but if I'm, if I'm not having this situational awareness, I can forget where I am on the radar. 
when things really start moving fast, uh, it, it's, it's like drinking from a fire hose and, and you just, you have to just be calm and you have to just take a deep breath and and just keep your wits about you. Andrew Leeper joins us now. Welcome, Andrew. How are you doing today? Good I'm to do, be with you. I'm doing all right. Thanks for being with us, man. This is great. Absolutely. Glad to be here. You know, drinking from a fire hose, that really got me. One thing that we didn't see on this tour is what it looks like when all the feeds and monitors are on and the data is pouring in in real time. So let me ask you, how do you keep your wits about you when you have so much data coming in at you? You know, we, we feel a deep responsibility um, and it, it's not just about, you know, we're not just messing around on social media. We realize that that people truly depend on us and broadcasters and the weather enterprise to keep them safe and to keep them informed of what's going on. And so really, you just have to, like I said there, just have to take a deep breath and realize that, uh, you know, people are relying on the information. You need to keep it accurate and and just tell people the story. Tell people what's going on as if I'm talking to my own family. It's what I would tell them. Let me ask you a question. Where is the safest place to go in your house should a severe storm and tornado come around? You know, uh, every situation is is so different. And, you know, we have these general guidelines uh, such as, uh, and this is a graphic that I'll put up, whenever we uh, have a tornado warning and it stays up the whole time, but it is, you know, the general guidelines are lowest level away from windows, the most interior room, as many walls between you and the outside as possible. Um, and, and so those are, those are general rules and every place has a little bit uh, of a different, a of a different setup. And, um, you know, our national weather service uh, friends that are, that are there professionals, um, they, they have uh, guidelines and suggestions as well. Uh, that maybe get down to more of the specifics of your building. Okay, I'd like to bring in our next guest. Chrissy Hurley is with the National Weather Service of Nashville, where she serves as the Warning Coordination Meteorologist. That means she knows what she's talking about. Welcome, Chrissy. Thank you for being a part of the show. Well, thank you for having me. So one question that comes up a lot is, what is the difference between a tornado watch and a tornado warning? The best way that I can describe it and the easiest way I describe it to my my family is think about when you're making tacos, right? Mm -hmm. A taco watch. You put all of the ingredients out on your counter. You're about to prepare uh, some good taco dinner, right? So that's a taco watch. Same kind of thing in the atmosphere. All of the tornado ingredients are there ready to come together. But when you start making that taco and it's about to go into your mouth, mm -hmm. that's when I'm going to issue a taco warning, right? Okay, I got this. You know what? For lunch, I'm about to have a taco warning because I got tacos for lunch. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. If you're just joining us, we're talking about how to stay safe when tornadoes hit. Our guests are Leland Statham from News Channel 5, Andrew Leeper of Nashville Severe Weather, and Chrissy Hurley from the National Weather Service. So I've got a question for you, Andrew. You know, we want to know, like, when is the right time to head to our safe spaces? Sure. So th there are a couple of things you can do. Um, typically, what we would we would say is that ahead of a warning being issued, if you are not in a safe place or not near a safe place, ahead of a warning being issued, you want to have a plan uh, to get to that safe place quickly so that when a warning is issued, 
you can get to that place very, very quickly. All right, so let's say maybe the day of a severe weather event, you want to go ahead and be uh, and, and have your plan kind of in your back pocket to where you're going to go when a warning is issued. And it may be at your work. It might be where you're shopping. It might be at your home. And so that way, whenever a warning is issued within a matter of seconds or minutes, and not many minutes, mm -hmm. you can get to that safe place. And so it's not something that you want to think about as soon as the warning is issued. Okay, where am I going to go? This takes a little bit of planning on your part leading up to the event. So I'm hearing we need to carry out a plan that we've already worked out. It is not a time to improvise. That's right. So what about storm shelters? Are they worth the expense? You know, it, it depends on your structure. I mean, you know, there's there's not a cut and dry answer for every structure and every tornado and every severe event. So um, if, if a safe room in your home makes you feel safe, then that is something that might be worth the expense for you. Mm -hmm. If you have a, a, a place that is pretty strongly built and, you know, a home that is strongly built and you have a place that is where you can go that has many walls between you and the outside, as many walls as possible, and you feel safe in that in that room, then maybe you don't need to invest in a storm shelter. It's all what makes you feel safe in your structure, in your situation, where you are. And every place is different. Okay. I got a question about basements. Are basements just watery graves? I mean, what's the deal with that? We've heard different things here at WPLN News. So what should we what what's the deal? You know, there certainly have been situations where people have been in a shelter and water has come up quickly. Maybe you're in a flood-prone area, uh, but that's certainly not the case in every situation. I mean, I, I would I would venture to say the vast majority of cases, um, the storms that we have coming through, really the tornado warning lasts for for 30 minutes perhaps, and then the storm has kind of moved on. It's, it's fairly rare that we get a situation where we would have a tornado warning and it just dumps and dumps and dumps rain just continually over and over and over where we would have a flooding problem. So really you have to sort of gauge in, in your home, in your safe place, is it in a place that typically would flood? And I would say that if the answer is no to that question, then odds are you're in pretty good shape that it's probably not gonna flood in that one situation where you need it and a tornado comes by. I'm not from here. I really don't know how to prepare. So this is this entire episode and conversation is educating me greatly. But we have Jordy Lane from Nashville talking about their preparation and their kit. As an Aussie, I didn't know any better until 2020 when I looked out the window and saw a portion of someone's roof flying over our house. So we ran into the closest closet. Um, but now we have a tornado go bag with everything from headlamps, portable chargers, weather radios, dog treats, helmets. Um, so we just try and calmly set ourselves up in there with our dog Tazzy and uh, extra mattress ready to drop over us. Okay, so let's talk tornado kit and essentials. Chrissy, what are some of the essentials that we each should have in our tornado kits? I think, you know, the biggest thing is things that can help you immediately if you're house, work, school gets hit by a tornado. Uh, we want everybody to have a good pair of, as my dad would say, sneakers on, you know, shoes that, you know, there's going to be glass around, shoes that you can walk around uh, if there's debris, a helmet, 
a helmet is a great idea to put on because one of the number one, uh, you know, reasons for fatalities is blood force trauma to the head during tornadoes. So you want to make sure that you protect your head. So if you have a helmet, bicycle helmet, football helmet, motorcycle helmet, go ahead and put it on uh, when you're taking shelter. And you want to have, you know, other things in your go bag. Obviously, that's, that's going to be a personal decision, but, you know, flashlights, maybe some extra batteries for those flashlights, and a battery uh, operated radio so that way you can get information because when a tornado happens, you may or may not have cell phone reception. Mm-hmm. So to get information, it's important to have one of those old tiny battery operated radios. Okay, okay. I'll make sure I get one of those now. We still have Leland Statham on the line with us. Leland, what kind of information is important for us to follow? I think just to reiterate what Chrissy and uh, Andrew have said is to make sure that you are weather aware, make sure that you are situationally aware of what is going on. And so if there is something where we think there may be storms in the middle of the night, have a way to get that information so that if you fall asleep, there is something that will alert you, whether it's your phone. The NOAA weather radio, again, is fantastic because while they plug into the wall, they have a battery backup. But information is key in making sure that you are situationally aware of what is happening at your home or at your workplace in this situation. We understand it's 2022. There's a big problem with misinformation out there. So we're going to try to work on a little Mythbusters lightning round. We've got no prizes for you, but our enduring respect and gratitude. So I'm going to tell you a common severe weather truism, and you're going to tell me truth or myth. Then you all can expand if you want. Andrew, I'm going to start with you. When a tornado is imminent, it will feel warm. Truth or myth? Not always, not always, um, especially when some of our tornadoes happen in the wintertime. It's not always going to feel 75 and humid outside. It may be a little cooler. Okay, okay, so that's neither truth nor myth, but somewhere <laughs> in the middle. Okay, I got that, I got that. All right, uh, Chrissy, tornadoes can't cross rivers, truth or myth? Oh, my goodness. Total myth. Uh, just the tornadoes this past December, uh, big-time tornadoes crossed the Mississippi River, uh, the same one that hit Mayfield, Kentucky. So that is 100% myth. Okay. Okay, so you can take a tornado to a river, but you can't make him leap. Um, that was really corny. I'm sorry, y'all. Okay, so Leland, with you, tornadoes can't climb hills, truth or myth? That is definitely a myth. People in East Tennessee used to think that they were protected because they were in East Tennessee mountains, but no, uh, tornadoes can climb hills and uh, up mountains as well. Okay, okay, back around to you, Andrew. An approaching tornado will sound like a train. I didn't know this, is that true? You know, we've heard various sounds. Some of them say a freight train, some of them say a jetliner. Um, mm. but, but you know, it, it, the strongest tornadoes may sound like that, but not all of them are going to be loud, and you definitely don't want to wait to hear the sound before you take cover. That's not the idea. We don't want that. We want you to go ahead and take cover before you hear any sound at all. And then have debates on what it sounded like after you've you've after there the you storm go. has passed. That's right. I'm with it. I'm with it. Chrissy, Tennessee ranks as one of the deadliest states for tornadoes. Truth or myth? That is truth. Uh, Tennessee ranks number three 
in tornado fatalities. And a lot has to do with the fact that 46% of our tornadoes occur at night in the dark when people are sleeping or you can't see them. And so that is why it's so important to make sure you prepare. Okay. Okay. And uh, Leland, tornadoes are like lightning. They never strike the same place twice. Truth or myth? That is incorrect. We've had uh, some that have hit a couple of places just within a couple of blocks of each other. So definitely a myth. Okay. Okay. And Andrew, final one for you, my friend. East Nashville, where I live, I hope this is a myth, is a midi tornado alley. You know, if you go and look at the tornado database on the Weather Services website, you can see that there have been several tracks there. And I guess this sort of goes to your previous question, is that, is that uh, you know, some places do get, get hit more than once. And uh, there does, you know, there, there have been quite a few tornadoes going back through history that have affected the East Nashville neighborhood. Okay. Okay. I get that. Now, Chrissy, we have covered a lot a lot in this episode is there one thing that you want people to take away from today's show what is it i think here in the state of tennessee with severe weather you know that it's not if we're going to get another tornado it's merely when Mm -hmm. and since almost half of our tornadoes occur at night it is so important to make sure that your family has a plan know what to do know where to go and have multiple ways to get weather information that will wake you up. Got it. Got it. Wake up call and multiple reliable information sources. All right. Well, hey, I'm feeling more prepared. We hope you are, too. Head to thisisnashville.org for a roundup of the resources from today's show. Thanks to everyone who joined us this hour for This Is Nashville. Tomorrow, we're talking Nashville nightlife, baby. Yes, there will be some woos. Yes. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back to this episode at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director, and our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Our theme music comes from Lorange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.